class. I do have some, some handout sheets if I could have some volunteers to uh, pass them out. Who would like to pass out? Okay. Good. Hey, good, good job. And our, uh, and our Oscar for Best Actress goes to, our Best Actor goes to Don Robinson. Okay. Uh, thank you for, uh, for being in the class this morning. I am, uh, the thought has not escaped me that just last Sunday, Carrie Williams was teaching this class. And uh, I know that Carrie uh, had a lot of credibility. He, he preached and he taught for four years faithfully in this church. And I know that, that uh, we all hold him in high esteem and he was a good teacher and and so I thought I'd begin today by just giving you a little introduction to myself. I am, for, for some of you, I'm an unknown quantity, and for some of you, I'm uh, a not very well-known quantity. And so I want to introduce myself in a way that may give me a little bit more credibility with you as we move forward. So let's, let's, let's do that. Hi. <laughs> My name is David Parks. And I'm glad to be back. <laughs> Ron wants to know if I've lost weight. Okay. My name is Mark Frost. Uh, I've preached in the, uh, in the area for 40 somewhat, some odd years. Uh, preached for the church in Trenton for 34 years. And since 1972, I've been doing interim ministry, which is preaching for churches that are between ministers. I uh, finally retired from that back in September. And uh, so even though uh, Nikki and I have been members at, at Waterford for over two years, I haven't been a regular attender here for that long. So uh, it's good to be here. I do have some connections with the, the congregation here. Uh, when I was preaching in Trenton, one of my fellow downriver rats was Tom Sturgeon, who was preaching at the Taylor Church at the time, and got to know Tom very well during that time, and have, we've become good friends since that time. I uh, managed a week of summer camp at Michigan Christian Youth Camp for 19 years, and one of my most faithful co-workers in that endeavor was Ron Brown, and uh, Ron and I have been close since that time as well, but don't believe everything Ron says about me. Uh, <laughs> I do go way back with, with Don, and Ken Rob, Don and Kim Robinson. Uh, I actually go further back with Kim. Kim's dad. <laughs> yeah, it's true, Don. Uh, Kim's dad was an elder in the congregation that hired me for my very first preaching job. And I actually remember Kim as a teenager, and she was almost as cute then as she is now. So, just want you to know that. So, so I, I have some connections with various people here, but, uh, and I hope to have more connections with more of you as we go forward. So, we're going to talk about um, forgiveness for the next few weeks, and uh, that's, uh, I'm so thankful, I'm, Tom, of course, is teaching his class, but I want to thank Tom for providing a good introduction in the sermon. If you're in the second service, it will be a postlude to the class. But uh, Tom talked about forgiveness, the importance of forgiveness in his sermon this morning, and I'm very appreciative for that. Uh, forgiveness is a central biblical topic, and it's a worthy goal, and it sounds nice, uh, 
And I know that it's not a theoretical study for many of us. It's something that we have had to struggle with and live with and slog our way through because if you live long enough, it is very likely that you will come to an event in your life that I call a crisis of forgiveness. A crisis of forgiveness is when you are wronged or wounded so deeply. And I, I'm not just talking about, you know, there's, there are just what I would call day-to-day offenses, you know, like, well, she didn't talk to me, or he didn't shake my hand, or I walked in the room and he just gave me this look, you know. You, and, you know and, and those do call for forgiveness. But if you live long enough, you'll come to a point where you are wronged or wounded so deeply that you will not want to forgive. And even if you did want to forgive, you wouldn't know even where to begin. Uh, and there are examples all around us of, uh, of what a crisis of forgiveness is like. Uh, I have a, a story of a, uh, Elizabeth Morris, who's a member of the Little River Church of Christ in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. In uh, Christmas of 1984, her only son, Ted, was home from his first semester at college, had a job at the mall, and she was waiting the night before Christmas Eve, waiting for him to come home from his job at the mall. And she got a phone call instead from the hospital saying, you need to come and you need to come quick. Ted had been involved in a car accident. A car had from the opposite direction had crossed over into his lane and hit his car head on. Uh, Elizabeth and her husband, Frank, rushed to the hospital. Things were so bad that they were loading Ted up into an ambulance to take him to Nashville to a trauma center. They followed the ambulance there and anxiously waited and prayed and hoped. And the doctor finally came out and said, I'm sorry, but Ted is gone. 18 years old. And then she writes, Later that afternoon, Frank and I walked into the police station. A drunk driver had killed my son. They told me his name, Tommy Pigage. The name burned in me like a live coal. I was a Christian who believed in the way of love, but in that moment, I began to feel hate. Tommy Pigage was arrested on charges of murder. His blood alcohol had been three times the legal limit. I entered the courtroom for the preliminary hearing on a bitter day in January. My eyes searched every face. Which one was he? When his name was called, I watched a rumpled, blonde-haired, tobacco warehouse worker of 24 walk toward the judge. The sight of him sickened me. My hands began to tremble and tears ran together beneath my chin. Does he know what he's done? Does he have any idea the suffering he's caused? That was her crisis of forgiveness. And she swore that she would never, ever forgive Tommy Pagage. Now, I don't know how many of you have had a crisis of forgiveness of that magnitude, but I'm sure in this audience that some have. And there may be more than, than we would even suspect who have had a crisis of forgiveness like that. I want to tell you that this is not just theoretical for me, that I have had a crisis of forgiveness in my own life that I've had to deal with. A member of my extended family did something horrendous. 
that hurt not just me, but, but a lot of other people both inside my family and beyond the family. To respect the sensitivities of others involved, I'm not going to give you details. But if I did, many of you would say, that's unforgivable. Uh, I've had to work through the process of forgiveness. Um, the events that took place have left fractures in my extended family that have not healed uh, and likely may never heal. Um, but through, I will tell you that through God's strength and grace, I have been able to forgive my offender, and we now have a positive, ongoing relationship. And as I say that, I have to tell you again, it's only by the power and the grace of God that that's been possible. Uh, anyone, uh, anyone here who has had a crisis of forgiveness like that, there are some common feelings and thoughts. Anyone just want to, I, I don't want to, to uh, ask anyone to overshare if they don't want to, but has anyone been through a crisis of forgiveness and just share a feeling or two that you've had in response to that? Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm so sorry. Okay. Right. He's not here, and so how do you forgive someone who's not even present anymore? That's that's a difficult one. Okay. Any other feelings that go along with this crisis of forgiveness? Would you like to share? If you don't have a crisis of forgiveness, but can you imagine what kinds of feelings go along with a crisis of forgiveness? Yes. Right. 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 That's a whole jumble of, of feelings and emotions all mixed in there together. And that's, 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 that's one of the questions we struggle with, isn't it? Have I forgiven? I, I know I should, and I think maybe I have, but have I really? And, and, and especially when, when the person doesn't even recognize, or if they do recognize, have not made any indication at all that they recognize that what they have done has been hurtful. That's, that's, that's difficult to deal with, okay? Uh, there's some typical reactions that go, there's anger, there's, there's deep, deep hurt, sense of betrayal, uh, a lot of things that go into uh, the feelings that we have in a crisis of forgiveness. I will share with you, this is full disclosure, I'll share with you um, some of the source material that, that helped me in dealing with my crisis of forgiveness. There's a book by Everett Worthington called Forgiving and Reconciling. It's an excellent book. I recommend it. And if you read that book, uh, you don't have to come to this class anymore. No. Uh, actually, if you read that book, you'll recognize a lot of his material in what I'm presenting. Uh, but I do have another source book. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. Um, but uh, the Bible has been very helpful. And the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about that. And that will be my, my primary source in dealing with this topic in this class. Um, as time went on, 
in my crisis of forgiveness, I realized that I would need to forgive and that as a Christian, that was my duty and responsibility. But the question was how? And uh, I also discovered that forgiveness means some different things to different people. Even in our family, as we all as Christians recognized that we needed to forgive, we had different standards of what it meant to forgive, and that led to some significant conflict among us as, as there were some charges back and forth, like, well, you haven't forgiven. Well, you know, it, no, no, you haven't forgiven. And, and um, there was some, some pretty serious conflict among us as we, strive, as we strove to forgive our offender. Uh, forgiveness is not simple, and as, as Nancy pointed out, uh, there are a lot of questions that come up when we uh, contemplate forgiveness. Can any of you, what are some other questions that you think might come up as you are struggling with a crisis of forgiveness? Yes? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. If, I know I haven't gotten there yet. I'm on the road to forgiveness, but I'm not there yet. What happens, you know, where do I stand with God while this is going on? Great question. Okay. Any other questions that you can think of that come up? Oh, yes, Nancy. Uh, we know that God requires us to repent before he forgives us. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. That's that always comes up, you know. What and you know what if the person doesn't repent or doesn't seem to have repented? Am I obligated to forgive that person? That's, that's a great question. We'll deal with that. Um, we'll come across that. Yes. Well, the Bible says love your Okay. Right. Okay. Other questions that, that, yes? What do you do if that person continues to hurt you? That's a great question. Right, so you've, you've forgiven someone. What do you do if they continue to hurt you? And, and the, the, another question along with that that I'll add is, are you obligated to open yourself back up to someone who has the ability to hurt you and who has hurt you in the past? Uh, great question. I've... Uh, I've got a list of questions that, uh, and some of these have already been covered, but a uh, list of questions is, is forgiveness a one-time event or is it an ongoing process? Uh, am I obligated to forgive if the offender doesn't apologize? Uh, if you want to see the offender held accountable, does that mean you haven't forgiven? If you forgive someone, does that mean you're excusing their behavior? Can you forgive the offender and still demonstrate solidarity with his victims? Are hurt and anger the same thing as unforgiveness? If you forgive, does that mean you have to open yourself up to more hurt? Okay. Can forgiveness be commanded or forced, or does it have to develop naturally? Is forgiveness a decision or an emotion? How do you know when you've truly forgiven someone? Now, some of those questions have already come up. Those are some of the questions that that I think I faced in dealing with my crisis of forgiveness, and there may be others out there that we faced. Um, over the next few weeks, I want to explore these and other questions, 
But we'll begin with the most basic, which is why should I forgive? What's involved? You know, what is it that we're dealing with? What is this animal we're dealing with when we talk about forgiveness? Because if, if you come to a crisis of forgiveness, the, the reality is that you don't want to forgive. It's not something that we are eager to do when we are just destroyed inside and hurt so deeply that we don't know how to deal with that hurt. When we are wronged, it creates what's called an injustice gap, which is there is uh, what should have happened. You know, the, you know, here's the ideal. Here's, here's what should have happened. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's what actually happened. And uh, in between those two, there is a gap. And going back to the story of Elizabeth Morris, uh, she talks about after her son died. She says, that night I wandered into Ted's room, pausing to read a note he'd left on his desk of things to take back to college. Clothes, tapes, a Bible. I sank onto his bed remembering another note Ted had written when he was only 11. He'd slipped it to his dad after church. Please baptize me, it said, but all the people I want in there is me and you. That very night, Frank immersed Ted in the baptismal pool behind the pulpit while I watched from the front row of an empty church. Suddenly, it seemed outrageously unfair. Tommy Pagage should have been the one to die, not Ted. That's an, that's an injustice gap. What should have happened? Uh, Tommy Pagage is the one who got drunk out of his mind. If anyone died in that accident, it should have been him, right? But it wasn't him. He walked away with scratches. It was the young 18-year-old upstanding young man who died. That should not have happened. So between those two, there is an injustice gap. And, and we feel that injustice gap very, very intensely and very deeply. The question is, what are we going to use to fill that injustice gap? And I've got four ideas of what we could use to fill that injustice gap. The first is we could fill the injustice gap or the injustice gap could be filled by natural consequences. And natural consequences are just that, you know, when a wrong is done, there are, it sets in, in motion a chain of events uh, that are the natural outgrowth of what has happened. And it's possible. I mean, there are accidents where the drunk driver does die. Although, doesn't it seem to you when you read the news reports that more often than not, it's the drunk driver who walks away with minimal injuries and it's the other people who... But there are instances where, uh, or the drunk driver doesn't die, but he walks away with injuries that are severe enough that he's going to feel that pain the rest of his life. That's a natural consequence that most of us will say, well, yeah, that... That kind of helps fill that injustice gap. Or maybe the offender, whoever it might be, is, experiences remorse and guilt. Uh, and that, of course, is, is a kind of pain. And maybe they experience enough remorse and guilt that it serves to fill that injustice gap at least somewhat for us. Another thing that, uh, that we look to to fill the injustice gap is legal justice. And that's where somebody, somebody in authority who's been given the responsibility says, hey, what you did is wrong and we're going to hold you accountable for it. We're going to 
arrest you and charge you and put you on trial and we're going to make sure that you are punished for the wrong that you've done. And uh, that was part of what happened, of course, in the case of Elizabeth Morris. Uh, the Tommy Picage was arrested. He was charged with murder. Uh, her report is, she says, in the autumn of 1984, I walked... Uh, I, I waited on edge for the case finally to come before the court. If only Tommy would get what he deserved, maybe I would find some peace. You see, she's wanting that legal process to, to follow through to fill that injustice gap. Leaves fell softly as Frank and I stepped into the courthouse that day. To our dismay, Tommy got just five years probation. Only if he broke probation would he have to serve a 10-year jail term. I was filled with bitterness. He was still free. And so there was a desire to fill that injustice gap with legal justice, but in her case, as in a lot of cases, um, we're left wanting with that. Uh, now, here's the, here's the next thing that we might use to fill the injustice gap, and I would suggest that it might be the first thing that comes to most of our minds. Revenge. <laughs> and, and that is, I, I want to suggest to you that that, that is a, the natural, I would say it's a hardwired response in the human mind and in the human heart. When we are wronged, we want revenge. Now part of that is because we are creatures of Almighty God and God is a God of justice and He has built within us a desire for justice to be done. And so when a wrong is done, we want justice, and that comes out to revenge, right? And, and, and that is so hardwired. How many of you, I'm just, we're going to take a few minutes here. I want you to think of movies or television shows that have centered around the idea of getting revenge, Okay. Just shout a few out here because there's dozens of them. Nevada Smith. Nevada Smith. Okay. Taken. What? Taken. Taken. Okay, yeah, yeah, Taken. All right. Gladiator. Gladiator. Okay. The equalizer. Huh? The equalizer. The equalizer. Oh, yeah. See, even in the title, the equalizer. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to fill that in justice gap. Eye uh, for an eye. Eye for an eye. Okay. Any other, uh, come on, movies that, that center around the idea of getting revenge? Death Wish. Okay. Now, now, mind you, I haven't seen any of these movies myself. I'm a Christian. Okay. Okay. But I, but I have heard stories about them. Okay. <laughs> Pants are on fire, huh? Okay. Uh, but uh, I do know a song about revenge. And uh, I'll share that with you. Of course. You can be mean to me, mean as you want to be. Just say anything that you like. You can be nasty and catty and cruel and unusual. Twist my nose with your fingers. Trip me while I carry liquids. 
But as you pin me down, my arms down to the ground, and your spit drips into my face, deep in the back of your mind, remember at some point you'll have to fall asleep. <laughs> and when you fall asleep into your room, I'll creep. Did something move in the dark neath your bed? And then a voice you'll hear, it's calling loud and clear. A voice that is your own, a voice that's saying, Yeah! Yeah, did I tell you I used to manage a week of summer camp for kids? <laughs> and my singing wasn't much better. As I told you, don't believe half of what Ron Brown says about me. Um, but I'm not quitting my day job. Well, actually, I did quit my day job. Okay. Uh, anyhow, uh, we, 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 we fantasize. We, we, I say fantasize. We, when we've been wronged, we dream of vengeance, of revenge. And those movies that we talked about, they all end with this this beaten and bloodied character who finally is able to stand at last knowing that they have gotten their revenge and, and it's like and we walk out of the theater like yeah you know yes Ron I, I don't remember this movie it was the last time but uh, the whole thing you were talking about and finally he got the guy to kill the family at the end yeah and he had a chance to kill him and realized that the whole thing if he sure his whole life now, that's yeah, now, and that is an unusual ending, it, and, and you hear what Ron said, he talked about a movie where the, where the character spends the whole movie wanting to get revenge on someone, and when he finally has the chance to wipe the sucker out, he realizes that his quest for revenge has destroyed everything, and he just walks away. Yeah, and, and that is the problem, is that, that when we seek revenge... Uh, you know, the phrase is revenge is sweet, uh, but usually it's not. Uh, it usually has a, a counterintuitive effect on us. Yeah. Right. Okay. I like that. When you, when you seek revenge, take two shovels, you know, bury the ones you get revenge on and then bury yourself because uh, it usually doesn't turn out well. Elizabeth Morris talks about her desire for revenge. She at one point blurted out to her husband, if I ever see Tommy Pagage walking across the street, I'll run him down. I know how you feel, Frank said, but I could tell the extent of my hatred startled him. It surprised me too. I'd always been a loving person. I'd never raised a hand against anyone. Of course, I could never have run Tommy down, but there was no doubt I wanted him dead. And those are very real feelings. I want to suggest that there is a last option for filling in the injustice gap. That last option is forgiveness. And just as I said, revenge is a natural hardwired response. I want to suggest to you that forgiveness is an unnatural response. It is not a normal, natural, or easy thing. Certainly not an automatic thing for us to do. In fact, I would suggest that it is so, it runs so much against the grain is that if we forgive, it has to be by uh, conscious effort and desire. And 
usually involves some work, significant work, on our part. Uh, and it's hard for us to give. What are some reasons that we sometimes give for not wanting to or not forgiving those who have wronged us? They're not worth it. Why should I forgive them? They are the lowest slime on the face of the earth. They do not deserve my forgiveness. They don't even deserve my attention, much less my forgiveness. Okay? What other reasons might we give? Mario? Right. Okay. Anytime she wants to come in this room crawling on her hands and knees and wrap herself around my ankle in tears, I'll forgive. <laughs> probably not if that's my attitude. That's correct. Yeah, we're waiting for them to, to, uh, to repent or to, to apologize before we forgive. Okay? What are some other reasons we might give for not forgiving? I don't want to. What? We believe our hurt is too bad. Okay. I, this hurt is too bad. This, the, and, and there, yeah, it, there are times when the crime, the offense is so enormous. You say, there is no amount of forgiveness I could ever make for this. It, it's, this is unforgivable. Okay. I heard another response back. Yes. Pride. Another reason we might, oh, wait a minute. Now you're, now you're meddling. Okay. Um, no, it, just simply our own human pride. You know, you've got to swallow a lot of pride to, to go before someone who has wronged you and forgive them. Okay? So there are reasons that we might give for not forgiving, for not wanting to forgive. But uh, I'm going to suggest that uh, as Christians, ultimately, uh, God's going to wear on us until we recognize our need to forgive. This is... Elizabeth Morris, as she was beginning to have that recognition, uh, she prayed, Oh, dear Lord, help me. I don't want to hate like this. Please help me get rid of it. Bible verses to begin to, began to weigh on my conscience almost daily after that. If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Love your enemies. Forgive 70 times, 7 times. And especially Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them. In some unreachable part of me, I knew God was asking me to forgive Tommy Pigage. But the words, I forgive you, struck me as the most impossible words in the world. Well, that's, that's real. There are times when we know that we need to forgive, but those words are the most impossible words in the world. But I'm going to tell you, this morning that you have much to gain by forgiving. That's why the title of the lesson is Forgiving is Forgetting. There are things that you can gain, things you get by forgiving others. Uh, the first one would be freedom. Uh, when, when you are struggling with that injustice gap, when you have not yet forgiven, uh, you really create a prison for yourself. And uh, the only freedom is through forgiveness. Don? What do we mean by forgiveness? Um, I mean, just because I say it is not necessarily forgiveness. I mean, it's certainly not forgetting. You're not ever going to forget that. What is 
Okay, that's a great question. And, and actually, there's two questions there that I want to just focus on. Uh, you, the other one is implied, and that is... I am, but, but, but let me... Uh, well, I'll deal with that later. Uh, no, uh, uh, I want to deal with it for a little while right now because one of the questions that we have about forgiveness is what's the relationship between forgiving and forgetting? Uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, I'll forgive... But I'll never forget. Have you heard that? Okay. Is that, is that biblical? Is that? Or uh, do we forgive and forget? And, and, and it, there is a sense in which that's absolutely true. I mean, we, our brains are such that we don't have the ability to voluntarily purge ourselves of memories. Now, I am finding as I get older that that's an automatic process. That... <laughs> that takes place, uh, but uh, there is a sense in which we don't forget. So what does it mean? What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to forgive and forget? And we will deal with that as we, as we move forward. Ron? Well, I think we can't forget when we can refuse to close. Okay. We can refuse to allow the thought to inhabit our minds for a long period of time. Once you forgive someone, then you should, you should try your best not to be thinking okay. about it ponder ways of revenge. Mm-hmm. It should just be, when it pops in your mind, pop it out. Right. Ron says that, that uh, yeah, we can't physically forget, but there is a commitment to no longer dwell on that. And I would, I would say it's a pretty good answer to, to what it means to forgive and forget. It means that we no longer dwell on and ruminate on the, the wrong that was done. Now, I will tell you, that when you're in that initial hurting stage, that's almost impossible to do. That's about all we want to do is relive and ruminate. And, and, and so part of the process of forgiving is learning how to do what Ron just talked about. When we do that, there is freedom. When you're fixated on revenge, you imagine that uh, you know, you're wanting the offender to, be, to experience pain for what they've done. And somehow in your mind, you have the idea that, that, that while you ruminate on what was done and relive over and over what was done, that somehow the offender, that you are making the offender do the same thing as well, when in fact, what is the case? You're just re-hurting yourself and, and likely are having no effect at all on the offender. Um, I, I have a friend who... He, uh, he had a, uh, you remember cassette tapes? He had a whole box of cassette tapes that he had, these mixtapes that he had made of, you know, his favorite songs. And he had a friend who said, hey, I got this date and I need some really good mixtapes for this date you know, going on. And so he loaned his box of tapes to his friend who drove a black Jeep. And his friend took the tapes and then didn't return them and then soon after moved out of town and took the tapes with him. And, and my friend Jeff, we'll call him that because that's his name, uh, <laughs> my, uh, uh, Jeff was so angry that this guy, and, and he didn't leave a forwarding address and nobody knew how to get in touch with this guy. And he said he was so angry over that, he said it was like 10 years, for 10 years, every time he saw a black Jeep you know, this anger would well up within him again and he would just, it would ruin 
his day every time he saw a black Jeep. Meanwhile, this guy, who wherever he moved, driving his black Jeep around, listening to these tapes, probably hadn't even given a second thought to the fact of the misery that he'd caused to Jeff. Okay, so who was in prison here? <laughs> yeah, Jeff was as a prison of his own making. When we finally get to the point of forgiveness, which by the way, Jeff finally got to the point of realizing this is ridiculous, this is stupid. I, you know, there are too many black Jeeps in the world. I'm going to have to get over it. You know, I'm going to have to forgive. So he did. Uh, in the case of Elizabeth Morris, she talks about her forgiveness. Uh, well, I'll get to I'll get to that later. She did forgive eventually, uh, but uh, oh, actually, no. This is the excerpt I wanted to read. Uh, after she forgave him, she then looked at, at Tommy Pagage and said, "Now I want you to forgive me." Forgive you? Why? For hating you, I told him. Oh, I do, Mrs. Morris, I do. And there we were, the drunk driver and the mother of the one he'd killed, feeling the torment begin to fall away. We were free, both of us. Um, freedom. It's a great, a great response or a great benefit of, um, of forgiveness. Another... Uh, Benefit is health and happiness, and I won't dwell on this too much, but there are genuine, legitimate medical studies out there that show that people who forgive and who have the ability and have learned the ability to forgive actually are healthier and live longer than people who harbor grudges um, without forgiveness. Um, another benefit better relationships. Um, I've got a, a wonderful book about marriage by Walter Wangren. It's called As for Me and My House. And in that book, he makes the point that, uh, in fact, his, what, his major point in the book is that the most important skill in a happy marriage is forgiveness. And his point is that if you're married to someone, if you live with someone day after day, year after year, whether you want to or not, you are going to hurt each other. And you can either allow those hurts to stack up and stack up and create a barrier, or you can regularly practice forgiveness. And if you can practice forgiveness, your life will be much better. Um, we are going to hurt each other. We are human. We are not perfect. And so forgiveness is a necessary skill for better relationships. Now, I want to suggest to you, these, those, those are all good reasons for forgiving. Those are all good things that we get by forgiving. But I want to tell you, those are things that would make sense to any audience, Christian or not. I want to talk about some spiritual reasons that we have for forgiving. I have on your sheet, there are three uh, scriptures there. I need some volunteers to read those scriptures. Who would like to take the Ephesians 4? 31 to 32, okay, right back here. And then the Colossians 3, 12 to 14, who would like to read that? Okay, Mario. And then uh, Matthew 6, 12, and also 14 and 15, okay, um, Mark. Okay, so we want to look at some spiritual reasons. This being a Bible class, I thought it would be good toward the end if we get into the Bible. <laughs> we will be dealing a lot with the Bible, but I just wanted to define the field here first. So uh, 
Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Go ahead. Okay, did you hear all those things that are, that are set in opposition to forgiveness? Bitterness, wrath, strife. Uh, those are things that, that over in Galatians are identified as works of the flesh, uh, which are opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. So when we forgive, it means that we have, we have risen above those things and we have been freed from destructive forces in our spiritual lives. Those things that are said in opposition to forgiveness are things that will destroy us. They are spiritual illnesses, spiritual diseases that will destroy us. Okay, Colossians uh, chapter 3. Go ahead. Okay, you hear what he's saying? He's talking about as a, as a believer, as a child of God, what should we wear? And he talks about the, 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 the things that, that we wear, that we consciously put into our life. Uh, kindness, compassion. Uh, and then he says, and he, he kind of builds this, this uh, it's like you know, putting on clothes in layers. You start with your undergarments and then you build out from there. And, and he, then he talks about forgiveness as tying all of that together. And then after forgiveness is, and over all of that, when everything is all ready, the, the, the crowning piece of your wardrobe, put on love. So I would suggest to you that forgiveness is a necessary prerequisite for that kind of love that the New Testament calls agape. Agape love, the highest selfless unconditional kind of love that is characteristic of God and of Jesus themselves. Um, and then uh, another spiritual benefit in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Mark, you have that? Okay. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. Okay, that's the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the, the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave. And the, the, the phrase in there is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he follows up that prayer. He picks one phrase out of the prayer to expand on. And he says, you understand, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. And so receiving God's forgiveness is one of the blessings of our forgiving those who sin against us. So you have a lot to gain by being a more forgiving person, but I want to conclude by telling you that none of these things are the primary reason for us to forgive. They might be good starting points. They might be helpful motivators along the way, but they're secondary. I want to suggest the primary reason for forgiving others is contained in the wording of the passage that we've already looked at. Uh, in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, and this is, I want to follow on, this is the follow-up. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reality is, I know, give me about 30 seconds, I'll wrap up. The reality is that if we are in the body of Christ, the ticket to admission was that we needed to be forgiven. If you're in the body of Christ, you stand as a forgiven person. Amen? That's our identity. That's who we are. We are forgiven people. Therefore, if we are to imitate the God who forgave us, then we must forgive. And I'll give you a last description the way Elizabeth Morris described it. Uh, She visited Tommy in jail. She said, as we talked, Tommy seemed to want to say something. Mrs. Morris, I'm so sorry, he finally blurted. Please forgive me. For a moment, everything stood still. I stared at him with the words from the cross falling down all around me. Father, forgive them. Oh, dear God, you lost an only son too, yet you forgave those who killed him. And suddenly I saw it clearly. God had led me to this moment. I couldn't stand it anymore. I forgive you, Tommy, I said. Elizabeth and her husband Frank started picking up Tommy, uh, signing him out of jail on Sundays, bringing him to church. He was baptized. They would invite him to their home. Uh, They would have Bible studies there with them. Uh, They were eventually fully reconciled. And Elizabeth, to her surprise, found some of her maternal instincts transferred to Tommy, where she saw him even as a kind of son, uh, not certainly not to replace the one she lost, but a son that God put in her life to allow her to love and to hope again. There is great hope in forgiveness. We're going to go on from there next week. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll see you next Sunday.